chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus predicts his betrayal. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill a scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his, this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, 
Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words. Uh, we thank you for this um, tremendous chapter in Jesus' life that he was prepared to go through for us and what we can learn from it for your glory and for others. Amen. No me gustan los pies de los demás. No me gustan los pies de los demás. I was asked in a Spanish class to write a sentence about something I didn't like. No me gustan, I do not like, other people's feet, los pies de los demás. I, I, I think there's a reason why God has put them at the other end of our bodies, as far away from all of our other senses as is possible. I just don't like feet. <laughs> and. Though a lot of people are excited or, or, or get involved with uh, uh, an invitation to have their feet washed or wash and go and wash somebody else's feet or have their feet washed by a bishop, uh, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to wash the bishop's feet or have the bishop wash my feet. They're my feet. I, don't, I like my feet. I don't like anybody else's. And if you like my feet, I'm worried. Because <laughs> they're ugly feet. They're strange little feet. But... It's an interesting thing, isn't it? In our last parish, the neighbouring vicar, um, John, his wife, Basma, was from Jordan, and she couldn't get her head round why we were so excited about feet washing at Easter. She's from the Jordan. She said, this makes sense in a dry, dusty, hot country. What are you doing it here for? You wear socks. <laughs> and sandals. 
But there is meaning. It can be very powerful for people. It can be a, a, a moment of, of teaching example. It can be a moment in which churches gather around and, and learn something new, something deep. But let's have a look at this passage and see what's going on. There's meaning here. We ought to explore it. And we need to see what Jesus is doing. We've heard elsewhere in John's Gospel how Jesus expects his disciples to copy some of his behavior. It's interesting, just at the end of that reading, where I'm going, you cannot go. But at other times, he set, which, which identifies you know, the unique thing that he's going to do. But also, we, also, we see that he talks about a seed-producing a seed kernel that would produce other seeds, and he wants his disciples to follow that example. When he's in the synoptic Gospels, when he talks about his forthcoming crucifixion, it becomes the figure of speech for the disciples to pick up your own cross, to take up your own cross, that there's a dying going on here. So there's something that Jesus wants us to learn, wants his disciples to learn, and that John has passed on so that we could, we could grasp what it is to know Christ better. Why do we think he's doing it? Well, John verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, it's quite long, it tells us a couple of things, but one of the important things is the second half of the verse. Having loved his own, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So there's, there's the starting point, isn't it? He's going to show them the fullness of his love. It's the beginning of what's going to happen. Remember, this is the Passover. This is effectively around the Last Supper. Events are starting to crowd in. The end is near. Jesus is going to show them the full extent of his love for them. Now, the disciples, it being a feast, may have already washed for their, uh, in preparation for the meal, but evidently they didn't wash their feet, which in the ancient Near East, in the Middle East there, would uh, a custom that a slave would be expected to tend to the guest's feet. But it was not a task that a Jewish servant could be asked to do. It was considered below them. And it wasn't something that they were doing for one another either. Nobody would wash the feet of their peers. It was such a demeaning role. I can't imagine what our equivalent would be, really. I thought I was being brave the other night, nipping out in my gym jams to put the frost screen on the car. But I think we're talking about something deeper here. I think we're talking about something much more meaningful. And the point about Jesus, the full extent of Jesus' love is to do what nobody else would or could do for them. They weren't prepared to wash each other's feet. No other servant should be expected to do it. And yet Jesus does so. And it marks the depths, it plumbs the depths of Jesus' love and self-abasing, making himself nothing, we learned in Philippians earlier, didn't we? Making himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, not even a Jewish slave. He does all of that for them. And if there's a reason behind it, it's to show his love for them. Think about this. This is quite a shocking thought, isn't it? it? You know, Jesus has been their teacher. He's done amazing things. They're coming to the conclusion about who he is. That people have talked about him coming from God. People have talked about him uh, being you know, a, a prophet, a savior, the Messiah. He's talked about he must die. So for somebody as great as that, 
to wash your feet would have been really quite shocking, wouldn't it? But if that was shocking, how were they going to react to the crucifixion? Jesus is sort of teeing them up to say, look, this is, the one, this is one thing that I'm going to do, but I'm going to do so much more. It's building up a picture of the cross and what that achieves. And if there's a reason for the cross, it is the same love that Jesus has for them. And the foot washing is like this acted parable of the washing away of sin through his sacrifice. It's not the full picture, but it's got that washing away. Of course, Peter responds probably the way that a lot of us would, I hope. Peter's response tells us that there's more going on than this demonstration of so-called servant leadership. And Jesus takes something and expands into this deeper meaning. The commentator Bruce Milne just summed it up like this. He said, when Peter offers his hands and head as well as his feet for cleansing, Jesus uses the opportunity to develop the symbol of foot washing in a different way. And he distinguishes between a once-for-all cleansing, like a bath, with the continual washing of more specific areas of the body dirtied in the regular course of living life. Put it even more simply, when Jesus washes us, we are made completely clean, but he also washes up the other stuff too. We have been made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 8, Jesus says there's no other way. There's no other way. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, there's no part with me. It's Jesus' perfection, it's Jesus' holiness, it's Jesus' righteousness that we're washed with. Not some composite of anything else. Not something that we can add to it. It's just Jesus, what he can do. There's no ritual, there's no promises of doing better next time, no idea imported from any other other world belief. We need to be made clean by the blood of Christ. That is his death for our sin in our place. It's the centre of where we're heading. It's the centre of human history. It's the focus of passion for life. It's what we're about. Peter writes about this later in one of his letters. He he says in 2 Peter 1, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you see the dynamic? The, The little stuff, the stuff that we do day to day is impacted by having been washed in the first place. I can now do clean things. I can now do good things. It doesn't have to be tainted. My life doesn't have to be spiraled by what other people think or do. It's actually shaped by having been washed, made acceptable by Jesus Christ. And that ongoing thing of Jesus talking about their washing 
on, in an ongoing way, John expands on himself. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous and to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same word, the same ideas going on. I have washed you. There is other stuff that I will need to wash, but I have made you clean now. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? So good to know that that, that change before God has been made. How many of us, when we came in today, were carrying this sense of, oh, I don't know if God loves me today. Or I did these things this week. How am I going to get through this service? Will God speak to me today? Will I feel close to him? Or will, or will I go away feeling the same as I, when I came in? Well, I hope that's not the case. I hope that we're reminded that we've been made clean. We're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made to do that. But it needs to affect us, doesn't it? It needs to change the way we think, which is what Jesus is challenging in Peter. Peter's still in the, keep on ritually washing me. Jesus has said, no, I've made you clean. You need to think and live like that. Many years ago, and I think the impact of that can be lost. Uh, my mentor uh, years ago told me a story about the ermine. Its winter fur is used to make the white trim on royal robes for House of Lords and royalty and such. The way to capture the ermine is in winter, when its fur is white, is to spread excrement around the entrance to its burrow. So that when you, when you are... When you, tr- when you scare it, it returns to the burrow, but it won't, doesn't want to get dirty, it doesn't like the excrement, it won't go in the burrow, and that's when you trap it, apparently. And my friend asked me, and my mentor, he was my friend, um, asked me, do I value that pure white coat the ermine has, the one that Christ has given me, do I value that coat that Christ has given me the way the ermine values that purity? Would I rather suffer and wrestle with sin or allow myself to get tainted? Powerful question. How many of us, I don't know what you would answer at that moment, at that time in my life, that hit me between the eyes and said, you know what, I need to sort some stuff out. It's really important. You can't get into these things. But powerful question. Because we all fall short of that sometimes. And and there are things we get involved in that are not of God. Peter talks about self-control and about knowledge and and affection for one another. There needs to be a change in mindset, doesn't there, about how we live as a result of being made clean. I've been made clean, therefore I notice if I'm about to get dirty. Now, some of you are really good at noticing those things. Perhaps in real, you know, the rest of your life you can hear bacteria and go straight away to clear it. But we need to notice, when are we going to sort of respond to things in ways that are not of Christ? When are we going to repay issues against sin against us with the sorts of unloving acts that Jesus has washed us of? That's the reality of life, isn't it? Things come at us. Just just life is tough. Other people, the things we have to deal with, the things that happen to us, pressures, all those sorts of things. How are we going to respond Appropriately, How are we going to respond lovingly when people are pushing our buttons? Because Jesus is calling us to be this, this community of people that are gathered around this love 
And he expands on that, doesn't he? Later on, he talks about this community of this, this final command. I've put notes about the other questions in your home group notes. But Jesus talks about um, a new command, doesn't he? A new way of thinking. If you've, been, if you've been washed, we need a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. And he talks about loving one another. The Christian community grows out of love for one another. Jesus is really explicit about it here, isn't he? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, there's a, there's a challenge, isn't it? There's a story from the Desert Fathers about a monk wanted to join the monastery, 4th or 5th century. And he goes to the abbot and he says, What's, what, what do I need to learn? And the, 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 the little initiate monk says, the novice monk is is told, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He disappears for two years. Comes back. Abbot said, where have you been? Well, I said, I've, he said, I've done the first half. <laughs> now, how do I love my neighbor? And it's this process, isn't it, of learning to choose the thing that Christ would do, the thing that he would do, because that's the way that we're known. It doesn't always seem fair, does it? doesn't always seem fair that we're compared to Christ. Um, so we have to have some confidence, don't we? That that's actually, overall, he's the ultimate judge. But it's, it's a mark of the Christian community. It's a mark that draws people to himself. And it's only possible through a, a, an active relationship with God, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, and amongst one another. The um, historian Tertullian said of the Christians caring for one another during the plague in Rome, see how they love one another. There was no, I don't like their feet amongst that bunch of people, I suspect. There were no things that they said, I'm not doing that. If it was the loving and right thing to do. And those are the challenges, aren't they? That's the challenge for the church. It's a challenge for all Christians is to bump along because we're following Jesus and it means bumping along with all sorts of people. Some, you know, and we've got human difference and we've got different opinions and different ways of doing things. And, but we're all heading in that direction. Sometimes the bumping becomes rubbing up against each other and it becomes a little bit grating and a bit difficult. But the command is clear, isn't it? To love one another. To have their needs, to have what's going on before, before us, as Jesus did. The command is clear. I've been um, revisiting Bishop Lindsay's speech for the uh, opening of the centre because somebody has offered to dedicate a plaque to, to mark its opening. And uh, it's interesting to see the things that either Bishop Lindsay was emphasising or the person who was transcribing it put in capitals. <laughs> One of them was, there are no self-interest groups in the church. He's right. He talked about the church being the only organization that exists for its non-members, for the people around us. I thought that's quite fascinating. But he also talked, and that was in capitals too, about how his prayer was that people through that, through that love, would find their way to Jesus. They would find their way to know that they can be loved as well. So Jesus sets, sets this standard by which we're measured. Love one another. And it might not seem particularly fair, does it? It comes sometimes, it leaks out 
and it's, it's hard to control. And it's, it's all, just as you want to close your mouth, the word has escaped. But it takes us to love, to think about people before we open our mouths, before we act, before we send an email, and ask God how he would deal with this, how he would show his love for those people, or that person, or dare I say for ourselves, that we forget that we are loved as well before we do anything. Because we wouldn't want to make Jesus less than he is. We wouldn't want to bring him down to our level, would we? Nobody's shaking their head, that worries me. We wouldn't want to bring him down to our level. We want to live up to his standard, to love one another. And we can't separate those two ideas. Love one another as I have loved you. It means accepting that we are loved. And that means accepting that he loves the people around us too. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that Jesus came to wash us of sin and we are in awe at what it cost and that from the heights of heaven he came and made himself nothing so that we might know just how far your love goes. And we pray that you would keep us mindful of that love, that our conversation that our mindset, that the way we think and interact would be coloured in by that love. That people would see the glory of God in us. The things that have been changed and the things that we are growing in. That we seek your will in this world. Amen.